0: Uh, hey, well, we're going to uh, open God's Word together and uh, read from it and hear from it. Um, and this month, we've tried to be pretty intentional in um, getting a few new Viners, who we really value, um, to share with us some people that possibly won't be super familiar to you, uh, but people who have spent time uh, leading small group studies and all that sort of stuff within the life of our church. Uh, and we want to be a church that encourages um People of all ages, but for me particularly, young people that are keen to delve into and understand God's Word. Um, so, this morning we have someone who is a great young fella and um, has spent a whole bunch of time uh, investing his time into a better understanding of uh, the Bible. And we're going to hear from Chris Davidson this morning. So, if you could welcome him. So I'm going to uh, ask Chris a couple of questions because I'm aware for a whole bunch of you, you won't know him. But before I do that, this is just like a, me protecting Devo, all right? I, pr- I get to preach a little bit, and I know that some of you fall asleep, okay? If you are one of those people, you should just say to your husband or wife right now, keep me awake, all right? Because it's really distracting when someone falls asleep, all right? And Davo's preaching for the first time. He doesn't need any distractions. All right. So, if you're a sleeper or something like that, or whatever it is, be on to it, because Devo's got some good stuff to share. But, Chris, uh, you have been a part of our church for a lot of years. Um, for a huge chunk of that, though, that was the night service. Um, roughly, give us a time frame there. How long were you a part of that for? Uh,
1: I think roughly I was here for about three, four years yep. uh, in the night service, uh, whether it be kind of helping with different things, being. Um, up here, generally just over there actually, um, before darting off for a little while.
0: Yeah, and uh, you finished up, well, wrapped up here because as you said, you did leave, you headed over to the States, uh, what was that for?
1: So I felt called to go to Bible College and um, instead of picking a local one or an online one, I thought I'd do the most extravagant thing uh, possible and uh, move over to the States, which was, you know, just a little bit different, especially mm-hmm. considering I was at the time in my uh, later twenties, you know, starting to establish myself in my career, all that sort of fun th- uh, stuff. So, picking up, moving to the other side of the planet was uh, that was a little bit different. Yeah.
0: And um, how did you find that? What do you feel like you learned? What What was it that God was teaching you through that time?
1: Uh, how long have we got? Yeah. Uh, so you've got about an hour, I think. <laughs> Now it is. Um, No, so one big thing that I learned, because at the Bible College, it's Summit International School of Ministry. They're the Bible College of Times Square Church, or David Wilkerson's uh, former church. And so they have a really big focus on bringing a lot of nationalities together and immersing yourself completely uh, in Scripture. So, you know, you did about four or five classes a day, uh, live, eat, breathe, sleep on campus, so you're completely
0: immersed the entire time. Mm. Yeah, right. Cool. And then uh, you wrapped up there. You came back. Thankfully, we got you back at New Vine here. And you brought with you uh, who is now your lovely wife, Beck. Where's Beck? Everyone say hi, Beck. If you've not met Beck, she's a legend. And uh, or you've yeah, met Beck, right. obviously. If the rest of you haven't met Beck, you should meet her because she's great. Um, But both Chris and Beck are now a part of our morning service. They're involved with some young adult stuff. Um, I have had the opportunity to sit down a bunch and chat through different aspects of Scripture with Chris and um, really value the time you have put in to uh, better understanding it. And we really appreciate that you're sharing with us this morning. So I might just uh, pray for Chris and then hand over to you. Uh, Father, we thank you for our time this morning. We thank you for your word. Thank you that... um, We are in a space that we can open it, that we can read it. And uh, God, we invite you this morning to speak through us. Um, We thank you for the time and the diligence that Chris has shown in better understanding... Uh, your Word and uh, God, the time that He has put into preparing uh, what He's going to share with us this morning, we just pray that You would uh, speak through Him, God, that we would have open uh, ears and open hearts to what it is You want to say this morning. Uh, and God, any any nerves or anything that Chris has, we just pray that You would uh, calm them, that You would speak through Him this morning, and that He would be open for You uh, to do what it is You want to do with our time. Amen. Can you uh, give Chris a thanks for me?
1: Thank you, you, Isaac. Thank you, Church. Um, How's everyone doing? Hello, online people. I hope you're enjoying this, whether it's now, whether you're watching it back later. I definitely can do that. So, uh, again, thank you for that uh, intro, and I hope everyone has had a great start to the year. Um, some people might still be on holidays, good for you, some people might still be at work, some people are still coming to terms with the fact that it's 2023 and we're halfway through January and that's fair enough. So for this morning I thought we'd do a little bit of a recalibration. Uh, You know we're, we're into the first two weeks which is nice, that's good and you know we're kind of working out how things go so it might be time to kind of pause for half a second, kind of do a little bit of rejinging, a little bit of a realignment, just to kind of see where we are, set ourselves up for the rest of the month, as well as the rest of the year. And so um, we're going to you know, start on a nice, light and easy topic, of small compromises leading to big consequences. Uh, one of the side benefits of spending a lot of time at a Bible college where you know you wake up there, you go to sleep there, and you're spending about eight hours a day-ish, in classes means uh, you're spending a lot of time in scripture. So guess what we're going to do? Um, So to kind of intro this concept of small compromises leading to really big consequences, I'm actually going to start off a little bit differently. And I'm going to use an actor as an example to kind of bring this uh, concept to life. Um, So most of you know or have seen this guy, Robert Downey Jr. You know know him to be this really big, uber-successful actor. You know, he was the face and the spearhead of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It only made a couple of billion dollars. It's not that good. (laughs) But before he became this uber-successful version, he was this young punk. He was this young, up-and-coming actor. You know, all the press was saying he's got all the acting chops to be the next really big, successful person, and that's really nice. But in between the young version, the up-and-coming version, and the super successful version, there was a problem, which is right here in the middle. That is not a scene from the movie. That is, in 96, he was arrested, um, tried, convicted, and spent six months in jail for weapons possession, drug possession, and then a couple of years later, he kind of did a couple of other stints uh, you know, breaking the law, which is not recommended, um, before he obviously hit a point where he went, I need to stop this. I need to change. This isn't going to go well, especially if you're starting to meddle with things like drugs and weapons. And he got himself together. And so I'm using him as a bit of, a, a bit of an example because we're going to look at someone in the Bible who kind of did a similar thing but had way more consequences. And that is Solomon. Most of us know him and are familiar with him being this really good, successful, super wise king who had a massive kingdom and, you know, he was the son of David and that's really good and he, was, he did really well. But before he became, you know, the king that we know him today, he was the new king. He literally got given the literal keys to the kingdom from David. Um, you know, here's the new job, congratulations, um, please do it well. But in between, you know, taking on the new mantle, becoming the new king and becoming the successful version that we know him to be, there was also a complication, very similar to Robert Downey Jr. And I'm actually just going to call him Rob for short because his name's really long. He made a couple of compromises that had very, very big consequences, which we're going to examine. We're going to take a bit of a an armchair perspective of look at what he did, look at what he did wrong, uh, and then hopefully that'll help us to, when we're reading scripture, when we're hearing from God, to avoid those same pitfalls. So to kick us off, we'll go into David handing over the keys to the kingdom, him um, kind of welcoming Solomon into the new job. So in 1 Kings 2, um, and I've Put the whole verse, uh, the whole kind of couple of verses there, but I've highlighted just the, the ones we're going to look at. David saying to Solomon, um, Be strong, act like a man, and observe what the Lord your God requires. Walk in obedience to him and keep his decrees and commands, his laws and regulations. Quite good, quite wise. You know, if you're starting a new job, they would probably say something similar. You know, follow the employee handbook, don't be an idiot all um, we'll will go well, get your work done on time, all that sort of thing. And this is pretty much the same thing, except when David says, you know, keep the Lord's decrees and commands, his laws and regulations, which ones? What, what are we talking about here? Because there's a lot. Um, I'm not sure if you've had a casual wander through Leviticus. There's just a few. Um, and there's a lot of things that, you know, they're, they're good, generally specific, but they're not really, let's just call it, job specific. So... um To kind of go through and find out exactly what David is talking about, I'm actually going to get uh, Geordie Mack to come up and give me a hand. You're going to be hearing a lot from me and reading a lot of scripture, and I think you need a break already. So to know exactly what laws and regulations and decrees that David's talking about, we're actually going to go to a spot in Deuteronomy, appropriately named Law of the Kings or Principles of the Kings or Rules for the Kings, depending on what sort of translation you're reading. Um, so, Geordie, I'll get you
2: to kick it off. Morning, guys. Um, so, this is from Deuteronomy 4, 17, 14 to 20. Um, and it says, When you enter the land that the Lord your God is giving you, and have taken possession of it and settled in it, and you say, Let us set a king over us like the nations around us. Be sure to appoint over you a king the Lord your God chooses. He must be from among your fellow Israelites. Do not place a foreigner over you, one who is not an Israelite. The king, moreover, must not acquire great numbers of horses for himself or make the people return to Egypt to get more of them. For the Lord has told you you are not to go back that way again. He must not take many wives or his heart will be led astray. He must not accumulate large amounts of silver and gold. When he takes the throne of his kingdom, he is to write for himself on a scroll a copy of this law, taken from that of the Levitical priests. It is to be with him... And he is to read it all the days of his life, so that he may learn to revere the Lord his God, and follow carefully all the words of this law and these decrees, and do not, and sorry, and not consider himself better than his fellow, his fellow Israelites, and turn from the law to the right or to the left. Then he and his descendants will reign a long time over his kingdom in Israel.
1: Beautiful. Thanks, man. Cool. Clear as mud. So, if we kind of summarize everything that John just said, because it was actually quite meaty, here are the KPIs to be a successful king. The king must be an Israelite. Don't intermarry, don't have other foreign rulers. And there's a, a kind of a key reason for that. Um, different cultures, especially when we're talking about royal marriages, would bring in uh, their own gods that you had to kind of share. Oh, you know, on day one, we'll worship my god, on day two, we'll worship your god as well as different uh, cultures that may not be appropriate in this case for the Israelites. So good first KPI. Second KPI, don't acquire a large amount of horses, and especially don't go back to Egypt to get them. Why horses? Very similar to armies today. The more bombs you have, the more powerful you are. very similar principle, Um, as well as the thing that if you have a large amount of horses or if you have a really big, robust... Army you become a lot more self-reliant you, you start relying less on God's protection okay third KPI uh, don't take lots of wives that one seems pretty self-explanatory um, don't accumulate a large amount of gold or silver um, we know and we've I'm sure we've seen lots of articles where you know having lots of money can be very corrupting so you know be humble with your gold be humble with your silver be a Bible nerd Keep a copy of the law with you to follow, to know back and front. Uh, I mean, in different parts of you know, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, it says you should write this. You should know this back to front. This should be like honey on your lips. So uh, know what the job manual says is good. And don't consider yourself better than your fellow Israelites. Um, That's pretty important for someone who's a king. You need to remember what you're doing, who you're serving, not just God, but also the people. So, you know, be quiet, stay humble. These are the T's and C's of taking up this job. This is the KPI of doing the job of being the king of Israel. And as we kind of read through a couple of bits and pieces of where Solomon goes a little bit pear-shaped... Uh, These dot points, these KPIs, I'm actually going to anchor them to the side of the screen. So as we're reading, if you see something that you go, that does not sound like he's following the guidebook, that does not sound like he's following those KPIs, feel free to call it out. Call it out as a red flag, because that's what I'm going to be doing too. Cool. So now that we've done that, let's bounce back to 1 Kings. Solomon made an alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and married his daughter. It's not exactly the best start, but uh, I'll keep going. And then in verse 3, Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the instructions given him by his father David, except that he offered sacrifices and burned incense on the high places. Just straight away, is there any red flags you might be able to see? Um, apart from, you know, don't intermarry, and I'm sure there's lots of other nations you could have married into, who do you think could be the one nation you probably shouldn't marry into? Not 400 years earlier, you know, the Egyptians only had the Israelites in slavery for a long time. Um, so probably one place you shouldn't go to find a wife would be uh, the person that... In- uh, oppressed um, your nation for hundreds of years, and it had to take, you know, divine intervention to actually stop that happening. Not a good start, but we'll kind of keep keep pressing on. So now we get to chapter five, where he's starting to do preparations for building the temple. And in chapter five, verse thirteen, King Solomon conscripted labourers. From all of Israel, 30,000 men. And I'll skip down to just about verse 14. Adoniram was in charge of the forced labor. If the word forced labor is kind of tickling your ears and not in a positive way, there's a reason for that. Um, Benefit of going and being immersed in Bible college, you do learn a little bit of Hebrew. Yes, I'm going to mention some. That word forced labour in the original Hebrew uh, translate to mas. Um, It's kind of the the root word that we get lots of different words from. Uh, Like you can get masam, which is someone giving an account or almost like writing a report about the forced labour and what they did. And then you can get job-specific words, uh, which it changes to misim. Uh, Kind of similar how you can have the job philosopher, which comes from the root word philosophy. It's, that's kind of how that word works. And you get to see words like mas and misim in Exodus 1 where Pharaoh thought the Israelites were a bit of a problem and so he decided to mass them to give them misim, people that would oppress them, put them into forced labor. This is probably also another really good example of why you shouldn't have uh, an Egyptian wife uh, why God said don't do this, not just for the fact that they might not be you know, super fun uh, people to have in your family, but part of their culture, part of their previous DNA may creep in, namely slavery. That's basically what it is. So again, if you're checking your red flags, don't marry someone that's not an Israelite. It's not too good. No big horse army. We're okay for the moment. Don't get horses from Egypt, not applicable. Don't have lots of wives. He's only got one so far, so that's good. Don't have lots of gold and silver. Okay, be a Bible nerd. I'm quite confident there's a part in uh, the law that says, you know, don't enslave your people. Um, So not specific, but hey, we'll, we'll count that as a red flag. Stay humble or equal to others. Don't consider yourself above your fellow Israelite. If you're putting them into forced labor, I'm going to count that as a bit of a red flag. But we'll, we'll kind of keep pressing on and see where it goes. So we'll jump to chapter 6. So we've, just, we've gone through, we've, we're building the temple, and we've come to the end. This is the, the last verse of chapter 6. So in the 11th year, I've lost my notes for a sec, bear with me. Okay, in the 11th year, in the month of Baal, the eighth month, the temple was finished in all of its details according to its specifications. He, Solomon, spent seven years building it. Now, just pausing here for a sec. As you read through, and especially more Old Testament, you'll find, I think it's more, you'll find some of the prophets and some of the writers being a little bit sassy. They'll put in just little tidbits of information that you as the reader can read and go, ooh, that's, that's a little bit sharp. Very similar to how the writer put in their forced labor and it makes you go, ooh, that's, that's a bit uncomfortable. That reminds me of something, in this case, Exodus 1. So when, he, when the writer specifies that Solomon meant, uh, spent seven years building the temple, the very next verse in chapter 7, verse 1, it took solomon 13 years however to complete the construction of his own palace so it's this comes down to a little bit of interpretation i, I will give you that but the writer's really pointing out that solomon spent literally twice as long building his own house that he did building the temple and then when it mentions things you know that this palace his house was called the palace of the forest of lebanon very original and it specifies some dimensions some reason. Uh, It's 100 cubits long, 50 wide, 30 high. Which you might go, that's kind of not really super interesting. But a little bit further back, it actually specified how big the temple was meant to be. And the temple was meant to be 60 cubits long by 20 wide by 30 high. So now all of a sudden you can see that Solomon spent not only twice as long building his own house, he also made it twice as big. It's not... you know, it's not necessarily breaking a law, it's not exactly staying humble, I'll give you that, but it's not painting Solomon in the best light. So now if we kind of pause here and we do a bit of a score check, like how, how are we tracking so far? So far, yes, he's an Israelite, but he married someone that isn't, so that's not too good. Uh, no large amounts of horses, not really applicable right now. Um, don't have lots of wives, not applicable. Don't have lots of gold and silver, Not super applicable. Um, Is he being a Bible nerd? Probably not as much. He's doing a few things that are quite questionable. And is he staying humble and considering himself equal to his fellow Israelites? Maybe not as much. Again, someone would argue yes, some would argue no, so I'll let you be the judge of that. How's everyone feeling? Lots of Bible verses? Good? All right, fantastic. Fantastic because it's all downhill from here. (laughs) So now we go to this next pass. And for some reason, and I don't understand why, the writer wants to take us back in time. We've completed the temple. We've completed his palace. So he gives us an account of what this forced labor built in chapter 9, verse 15. Here's the account of the forced labor King Solomon conscripted to build the Lord's temple, his own palace, the terraces, the wall of Jerusalem, and Hazor, Megiddo, and Giza. So I built a few more things of what we anticipated. And then we'll jump down to verse 19. Uh, The forced labor as well uh, built his store cities and towns for his chariots and his horses, whatever he desired to build in Jerusalem in Lebanon and throughout the territory he ruled. There were still people left from the Amorites, Hittites, uh, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, Solomon conscripted the descendants of all these people remaining in the land whom the Israelites could not exterminate to serve as slave labor as it is to this day. So there's probably a couple of red flags in this if you haven't picked up. Apart from getting you know, the forced labor of his own people to start with, to build a whole bunch of things, which is not super great, he got them to build things like towns for his chariots and his horses. And it's kind of a bit of an implication, a little bit of a wink that there might be a, a few horses. He might be breaking that rule of not having a big horse army, as well as then all these other people that you know you're not meant to mingle with to start with. Um, he's then putting them to serve as slave labor, and as it is to this day, kind of implies that it's a long time that he's doing this for. It's not exactly the best. His probation period isn't exactly starting off super well of how to be the king that David originally said when you follow, follow the laws your Lord God has given you, as well as the very implicit instructions that we read in Deuteronomy. But we'll kind of keep pressing on and see how far down the rabbit hole we go. So then we get to chapter 10. The weight of all the gold that Solomon received yearly was 666 talents. Now pause there, if immediately you're wondering how much is 666 talents, I did some research. 666 talents is equal to 14 metric tons. Now obviously the, the price of gold today is not gonna be reflective of what it was you know, back then, there's been a couple of jumps here and there, but as of yesterday or as of Friday, the price of gold per kilo was rounded down to $88,000, so $88,000 a kilo, 1,000 kilos in a metric tonne, so we're roughly $88 million, 14 metric tons a year. Um, I think it's safe to say, don't have lots of silver and gold is becoming questionable. He's starting to break that rule, It's you know he's still not going good, but we'll keep going they received 666 talents, not including the revenues from the merchants and traders from all of the Arabian kings and the governors of the territories. So it's not just, you know, these 14 metric tons. It's a whole bunch of other things that he's receiving too. Uh, And then we'll skip down to verse 18. Then the king made a great throne covered with ivory and overlaid with fine gold. Um, Everyone's entitled to their own interior design when you're doing things like creating a throne of ivory and gold, it's not sending, well, I don't think it's sending a humble message that you're an everyday man. Um, again, a little bit of interpretation there, but uh, we'll, we'll kind of take that into consideration. And I think we just lost the slides, didn't we? Cool. They just gave me a thumbs up. <laughs> oh, thank you. Cool. Uh, And we'll just go to the next one as well. Thanks, guys. Uh, In verse 21, all of King Solomon's goblets were gold, and all of the household articles in the palace of the forest of Lebanon were pure gold. Nothing was made of silver, because silver was considered of little value in Solomon's days. If your entire household is filled with gold, and your working-from-home office chair is an ivory throne plated with gold... You might have a bit too much gold. (laughs) On our KPIs, it specifically says, don't do this. He's not exactly following uh, the terms and conditions that God gave to him and that David said, follow this to be a successful king. All right, and keep going uh, until we get to still in chapter 10, in verse 26. Solomon accumulated chariots and horses. He had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horses, which he kept in the chariot cities and also with him in Jerusalem. We know what that slave labor built and why. And then verse 28. Solomon's horses were imported from Egypt and from Kew. The royal merchants purchased them from Kew at the current price. They imported a chariot from Egypt for 600 shekels of silver and a horse for 150 If you were an Israelite back a couple of hundred years and you were looking at becoming a king and you saw a verse that said, hey, don't get lots of horses, and especially in the market that's available, don't get them from Egypt, apart from it being a very obscure rule, it seems very straightforward. It doesn't seem like a rocket science one to go, I need a new car, I better not go to that place there because they did us dirty a long time ago. Um, for some reason, and this, again, may be applicable to don't intermarry with foreigners because they will bring their DNA, and I'm sure it's wildly um, coincidental that the very person that uh, you know he married in with, his father-in-law, was selling him horses, the very thing God said don't do. But there's a couple more red flags. All right, and then now we're going to jump to, <clears throat> excuse me, chapter 11, verse 1. King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter, the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonites, and Hittites. They were from the nations about which the Lord told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines, and his wives led him astray. Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart had not been fully devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father had been. He, Solomon, followed Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonites, and Moloch, the detestable god of the Ammonites." I have been married for just over two years, which in the context of a lot of people in the room, that's, you know, that's five minutes, that's not too long. But in my short two years of experience, even I know a thousand wives would be considered many. It is 999 too many, as a matter of fact. Um, Red flags popping up everywhere. Uh, I know that they, how's the saying go, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. No one that's ever, you know, ended up in a really bad place like our friend Robert Downey Jr. I'm sure he didn't start off his career going, oh, I'm going to end up in jail. I'm not going to change anything. It was the little justifications that, you know, we make along the way that make this descent, make this road a lot more appealing. The horse is a really good price and I can get them from your father-in-law, Pharaoh. It's it's cool. It's fine. We're building up an army to protect the Lord's people. I'm sure it was quite justifiable. But we're using our people to build the Lord's temple, so it's okay. We're building the Lord's temple. And the Israelites are getting to do it themselves. I'm sure it was justifiable. I don't know how you justify a thousand wives, though. That one's a little bit pear-shaped. But then in verse 5, and I'll just kind of hover here for a sec, he followed Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonites. So as you continue to read through, and specifically 2 Kings highlights this, Ashtoreth, or also referred to as Asherah, uh, was, you could kind of say, uh, the god of Mother Earth, if you want to call it that, the god of nature. And the way that you worshipped this god was you erected this pole, it had a carving of Ashtoreth or Asherah on the top, and... After lunch, you went up and worshipped and you kind of came inside and did more work. Not super exciting, to be honest. But then it mentions the detestable god, Moloch. This is a little bit of a warning because it's not super pretty. So Moloch or Moloch, was the original god of the Canaanites and it was not a nice god. And the way that you worshipped Moloch was Moloch was a big brass bull, like two stories big, and it held its arms out kind of like And when it came time to do the weekly worship, the weekly sacrifice, you lit a fire inside Moloch and you superheated Moloch. And then as part of the religion, the culture, tradition, whatever you want to call it, um, parents with newborn babies, specifically their firstborn, had to come and place their babies on Moloch's arms and burn them alive. And as they're doing this, the drummers that are kind of flanking Moloch would actually drum louder because their job was to drown out the screams of the baby. Otherwise, the parents might hear it, get super remorseful, go get their baby and, you know, carry on. So when the writer says that David was following Moloch, the detestable god of the Ammonites, you now have a bit more context of the sort of god that David was starting to follow. This is not a casual thing. This is not really a comfortable thing. If you're feeling a little bit uncomfortable, good. It should be. So let's do another quick score check. How how are we tracking? The king must be an Israelite, don't intermarry with other nations. Failed, red flag. Don't acquire large amounts of horses. I'm gonna consider 12,000 you know, large amounts of horses. And where you get them from? Well, it says specifically Egypt and Q, which is a bit of Sicilia um, in that time. Don't take lots of wives. A thousand would be considered lots. Don't have lots of gold and silver. Everything that he owned was gold, and he had a big office chair that was covered in ivory and gold. Not great. Be a Bible nerd. Well, it doesn't say that he's not doing that, but the fruit of what he's doing. is definitely pointing that he's not paying attention to what the Lord's saying. I mean, he did a couple of prayers, and that was nice, but the works by his hand aren't looking super great. And then stay humble, be equal to others, don't consider yourself above your fellow Israelites. Uh, I'm going to say that's a failure as well. Out of the six key things in a passage entitled Law of the Kings that you would think a king would pay attention to, He has failed every single one of them. This took a number of years. This took, I think it was uh, roughly about 40 years, and we covered this across um, a couple of different chapters. But it wasn't a fast descent. It was a slow descent. It was small compromises that made the next one just a little bit easier, a little bit more digestible. If I marry one foreign woman, the next one doesn't seem like such a big jump. I have a couple of horses. Oh, I can get a great price for you from my dad in Egypt. Oh, that's, that's okay. It is the small compromises that will lead to really, really big consequences. And so now we'll see where the consequences led to in chapter 11, verse 6. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely as David, his father, had done. And just skipping down to verse 9. The Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord and the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. Although he had forbidden Solomon to follow other gods, Solomon did not keep the law's command. Right now, Solomon is in that orange jumpsuit, basically being led away to prison like our friend Rob. It is really not a pretty picture. Uh, And if you always had a really nice, clear, um, pretty picture of Solomon, and I've just broken that, apologies, but I'm also not. Uh, This isn't good. As a king, and considering how good his father David was, he's really dropped the ball. And it doesn't kind of end here. That's the thing. We kind of see this, and this is, you know, chapter 11, Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. That's the accumulation of you know, years and years and years of getting to this point. But just like our friend Rob, between prison and becoming you know, Iron Man, the face of Marvel Studios, he obviously changed something. He got to that low point and realised, I need to probably get rid of the drugs and the weapons, um, stop breaking the law, stop getting arrested, and make good decisions to get himself back on track. Now, we don't get given the redemption story of Solomon, but we do know that he, he got the memo. He put up his socks, he realized what he was doing was wrong, and he made a change. And uh, we won't go through it, but when you go to something like Proverbs, and Solomon's talking about, you know, listen to your father's instruction and your mother's direction. Uh, above all else, guard your heart, because everything flows from it. Um, she, the adulteress, her steps lead down to the grave. Avoid idols. All those sorts of things. I'm sure if you went through with a fine-tooth comb and had a look at everything in Proverbs, you could find things that Solomon did to undo all those red flags that he just ticked. But we know that he made the redemption. That's kind of the point. Which kind of brings us to the next big question, which is, so what? I've just loaded on you a whole bunch of scripture and... I'm sure some of you are still chewing over it because it's a lot. But so what? Apart from just having a bit of Bible knowledge, um, crushing maybe your childhood view of King Solomon, what do, what do I do with this? That's cool, but I, I need something to do with this. This isn't super useful. Um, and it's a fair enough question. So how do we make this applicable? What, how do we actually take something away from this? And thankfully, Jesus gives us the answer, which we'll, um, we'll just go through. So in John, where Jesus is getting, he's doing the Last Supper. He's giving the disciples a bit of a, a pep talk, if you will. And he's giving them some kind of last instructions. I won't through, read through everything that's here in uh, John 15. But if you see, Jesus keeps repeating something. Remain in me. Remain in my love. Remain in me. Uh, note, if you're reading the Bible and you're seeing something that keeps getting repeated, especially from Jesus, it's probably worth paying attention to. And then he gets to this last bit in verse 12. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. That's good. Okay. I know what I need to do. I need to love each other. I need to love others as Jesus has loved me. How do I do that? By remaining in, him, remaining in his love. Awesome. Awesome. How do I do that, though? Because that's still nice, but that's not, how do I actually do the doing? And Jesus also gives us the answer for that in the uh, next chapter. In chapter 16, verse 13, But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into the truth. He will glorify me, because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. So what do you need to do? You need to love others as Jesus has loved you. How do I do that? By remaining in him, remaining in his love. How do I do that? By listening to the Spirit who will guide you in the truth, who will show you the things to do and the things that come from Jesus and the Father. This is the way to avoid that Solomon moment, to avoid the orange jumpsuit. These are a lot clearer instructions than, you know, don't buy horses from Egypt. That's not as, you know, readily applicable to us now. This is the way to do the rest of 2023, to follow these things. But how do I how do I make this applicable tomorrow? Because that's still good, but that's still kind of conceptual. And so just as I kind of start wrapping this up... Um, what are some next steps you can do? Or how do I make this applicable to my kids without scaring the heck out of them with everything you just said? Maybe you need to spend more time reading the word. Maybe all of this was completely foreign to you and you go, I need to read the word because I've got no idea what it says. I had no idea about this for Solomon. Or maybe you already know that and you go, I know I need to read the word, but he's basically in another language and I have no idea how to actually do this, okay? Maybe you need to go to Bible study. Maybe you need to do something like get a hold of the Bible project resources that are actually really good at compressing a lot of scriptures and making it a lot more digestible. Or maybe you, you kind of know that. You're, you're on top of that. I, I know that I need to love others. I know that I need to remain in Him, but it's the listening to the Spirit that I have trouble with. And maybe that's doing a new activity is something as simple as before you go anywhere, spend five minutes in your car. No music, no, no nothing, just sitting in silence for five minutes, not being rushed so that the Spirit can start to speak to me. Maybe that's the thing you need to do. Easier said than done, I'm, I'm well aware. But Jesus has given us the keys, he's given us the tools, but he's also given us a bit of the authority uh, and a bit of the responsibility. He's not going to just give it all on a silver platter, we actually still have to take it. Solomon, excuse me, got given exactly what to do. And there were very, very specific things of what not to do. But he didn't live up to his responsibility. He didn't do the doing. Unfortunately, harsh truth, you still have to do the doing. I've just told you, and hopefully it's, it's made sense, exactly what you need to do to follow in line with what Jesus has said to do. It's now... Unfortunately, on you guys to make the decisions, to put it into practice, to not, not let it, uh, this word just kind of stay here and it be this thing that you heard that one time on Sunday morning at the beginning of January. So, as you step in to the rest of January, to next week, to the rest of your year, avoid the pitfalls like Solomon did, pay attention. Unfortunately, and I'm sure a lot of people know this, God's word isn't a menu that you can pick and choose from. Uh, like a lot of us, I'm sure we didn't read the terms and conditions, you kind of signed up for everything. But knowing what it says, knowing how it's applicable, knowing how to actually navigate this, Jesus gave us the very, very clear direction. So, good luck. It'll be fine. And I'm sure if you've got any other questions or you're looking for different ideas or something's just not quite landing for you, uh, feel free to grab myself, one of the other team leaders, uh, one of the other pastors, and we can digest it more. We can talk about it more. This is meant to help. This is meant to be useful to you. So
0: thanks, guys. Thank you very much, Davo. That was great wasn 't it? i'll tell you what you 've set the bar high for anyone else that wants to have a crack at their first sermon <laughs> far out i don 't think i 'm pulling my name off the preaching roster that was no, that was really good, Chris. Thank you very much, and I think uh, uh, a great reminder at the start of the year and um, not to harp on, but I just want to... two things that Davo mentioned that i 'd love you to just take with you. I think Davo said um, One small compromise makes the next compromise easier. See, that was really good. And it's uh, maybe for us, we need to eyeball at the start of the year some of the areas that we are making compromises. Um, But the other side of that coin, as David mentioned, is maybe there's some habits that we need to start this year that are going to aid us in that, uh, that are going to set us up um, to move towards God, to be more like Jesus uh, in this year ahead. So thank you very much for sharing with us. Uh, we really appreciate, Devo, your what you brought and the time that you've spent um, investing in understanding God's Word. So thanks heaps.